Welcome to the Marketing Solutionaire, where we dig into the roots of great enterprise marketing. I'm your host, Chris Kaler, founder and CEO of Emsphere. In this podcast, we seek out the secrets to success in driving high utilization, adoption, and value from marketing technology with an eye toward building a community of excellence that drives our field forward together. So whether you're an established enterprise marketing leader or on your journey to become one, you're in the right place. And now, on to the show. Today, we'll be speaking with David Lipsy, one of the trailblazers and pioneers of the digital asset management world. I've known David Lipsy for a long time now and always enjoy the opportunity to lean into him for his insights. And I really think you're going to enjoy our conversation today. Thanks for joining us today, David, on The Marketing Solutionaire. I appreciate the time you've taken out of your busy schedule to share your journey. Well, Chris, it's great to be here and have the chance to chat and catch up. So many times when we are reflecting and looking back and looking ahead, it's in and amongst a busy meeting or a conference, or that's not really why we're having a meeting. So yeah. it's great to have this opportunity. And, and I like you mentioned about looking back, looking forward. And that was part of my challenge of having you as a guest today. Knowing your your history and being a trailblazer in the space of digital asset management, I was like, where do I start? Way back in the past, out in the future, or today present? And I landed on, hey, let's just get started. Let's jump in, put our finger on the rewind button back for about 25 years. And mm-hmm. I'd, I'd love to hear the beginnings of, uh, because you were there, of the whole dam, standing up the dam technology and solution and, and your involvement with Artesia. Would love to hear that. Well, thanks for, thanks for the opportunity to, to reflect on that. And it's a, a fun opportunity as we look ahead to gathering for the 20th year at the Digital Asset Management Conference known as Henry Stewart in New York City. But to springboard looking ahead towards that, there was an initiative funded as a laboratory project by the what was then called the Thompson Corporation in the mid-1990s when there was the confluence of a lot of interesting early, early waves in technology here in the metropolitan Washington, D.C. area. The telco world was coming along, and remember MCI? A little complex that occupies its own zip code out by Washington, Dulles Airport, called AOL. A lot of very serious research by the Defense Advanced Research Agency, known as DARPA, on this little tiny thing called the Digital Object Identifier, which is in and of itself part of the atomic subparticle of this entire digital world we live in. And along came the Thomson Corporation, which to this day, now known as Thomson Reuters, saw the opportunity to look at its content. And Chris, it was so varied. Thomson at that time owned Jane's Fighting Ships, the physician's desk reference, college, college textbooks, that no matter what gave you hives in college, they published it. I got a few of those hives. Some of them are still with me. 
But yeah, and it doesn't take too long in a bookshelf to go, oh, geez, I'm glad I'm not doing that anymore. And so Thompson funded an R&D project to take a look at these this extraordinary diversity of published content, includes Westlaw, still a very vibrant organization today, and say, is there a way we could publish all this content and do something that to our ears in 2023 sounds a little buggy whippish? Put it on CD-ROMs. And of course, CD-ROMs bring something between a smile and a wanting to flee in the other room for archivists today who have to figure out, you've got that on what kind of media? But the basic precept underlying that is our North Star today. Create once, use many. And here we are, 20 plus years later, thinking about what in the world, in the world of content, in its mission, if content is the manufactured object and suddenly it has to show up on streaming platforms and iPhones and this and that, and content going to work in terms of heritage brands and in the service of marketing, create once and use many. And luckily, there were some early companies willing to raise their hand and volunteer for software that was at a very nascent stage of understanding at that early point. Those companies included General Motors, which has had an extraordinary image archive that they wanted to have a little easier chance to put to use. What does that mean? Well, when we see the packaging for Hot Wheels, they need to license those images. And General Motors had millions of images. So the idea of finding them enabled a little bit of different thinking and just let's take a risk on this and see if it works. And this was back, we hit the rewind button, late 1990s. 96, 97, 98, when these early, early missions or, or not missions, early, they weren't really experiments. They were hopes. Um, and I guess that defines a lot of experimenting, that the productivity impact and the opportunity to enable new business, of which we had no idea what that would really turn into, would come for General Motors. Another early, early adopter in this was the Washington Post, which had an archive in all kinds of 8-inch floppies, removable disk platters, backup 1500 BPI tape, inaccessible, essentially, but full of history. The Getty Institute in Los Angeles, the museum, not Getty Images, was an early trailblazer in this field. And so was Fox Films, looking at its uh, marketing operations, thinking, would there be a way I didn't have to FedEx movie posters all around the world? And and companies and a lot of publishers in New York who said, "I, I, I think we could do this better. And out of that came the opportunity for some very early damn projects and Chris, the, the next chapter in this story is it turns out uh, logically that Pat Thompson, which is a global world-class um, exceptional publisher, is not a software company. And these companies were smart enough to say, well, we really like this, but we'd like to buy it from a software company. And that led to the formation of one of the few early companies in digital asset management that I was one of the founders of called Artesia Technologies. And Artesia joined a small community that included a company called North Plains, a company called 360, who were the early, and a company called Media Beacon in Minneapolis, who were converging at this idea of 
let's make that North Star happen. Create once, use many. How did that group get together? Uh, I, I'm curious, if you think about the book, Crossing the Chasm, <laughs> this mm-hmm. is early stage adopters. <laughs> so as you're out looking for partners, whether they were business partners, technology partners on this mission, mm-hmm. what was the level of excitement, apprehension, uh, risk? How did you guys uh, – kind of collaborate and uh, get through that noise? I think the a, a couple of different thoughts come to mind in that interesting question, because it very much was the chasm. It was that low J, low point in the J curve. Right. And we all felt like it could happen. And, and some of the answers were to find experts in the knowledge of how content is manufactured and join with them because they knew a lot about the workflows, the challenges, about another little bit of prehistory that's been interred, not quite in the La Brea tar pits, but it feels that way, called Quark. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and all of the asset management systems in the standard with which they're held today against Adobe, the same level was against Quark. And it's one of those reminders about the North Star of create once, use many remains what we aim for. But a few years ago, Adobe was a minor rounding ear in, in the content creation workflow. So it meant looking at Quark. It meant looking at some professionals with deep expertise in the content world in Los Angeles and in New York City who knew publishing. Because the, the software was all hardened against content being the manufactured object. And yes, it had brand implications, but the early wave of this in large part was, was with companies where content was what led, what led to the bottom line. And then brands started to be in the shadows of that. And lucky for all of us with the Getty that the cultural heritage world was trying to figure out too, Hey, what does this mean for us? So. But you're following your North Star. Uh, very interesting that you use that term because at mm-hmm. this point, you guys were trailblazers. You were pioneers. Uh, you had to follow something. You, Your group shared that vision. Mm-hmm. And then you looked for some support, uh, as you were mentioning, the experts to help distill mm-hmm. this. I almost see those as your Sherpas on your journey, helping guide, and you start moving forward. With that, I'd, I'd like to pivot. That is a great picture of the beginning of the story of mm-hmm. how it started. But as any entrepreneur will know, or anyone creating a product, it's more than just having the great technology. And what I've noticed about your background and uh, your uh, trail you've blazed is that you really recognize that it's more than just the technology to get something stood up and to be sustainable and to optimize it. And that mm-hmm. that was all your work that you've done with, I'll call it the nurturing of what you started, the communities. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. association, the educational uh, programs, uh, the conferences seem to be a common thread 
through your efforts to make this a sustainable uh, space. Mm -hmm. And can you tell me a little bit about those communities, associations from Henry Stewart to Rutgers to the Dam Foundation? Yeah, the Dam Foundation, there there are some that have lasted and some that haven't. Um, We did try to put together something called the Dam Foundation to nurture and afford leadership, best practices, so on and so forth. And I think served a, a good purpose and a convening point for a while. The durability of the Henry Stewart conferences, which will celebrate their 20th anniversary in New York City in, in September of this year. I'll be seeing you there. I look forward to that. Lots of and lots of other mark, professionals who bring marketing and operational smarts to our world and continue to look ahead. Um, and it's an it's an interesting thing to think about that as twentieth twentieth anniversary because zeros always make us stop. Sure, I've never quite figured this out. Maybe it's because it's the only vowel in a stop sign. I don't know. But zeros always make us stop, and that's one of those waypoints on the journey of Dam that's quite interesting. I was involved in a project where Sesame Workshop was celebrating its fortieth anniversary, and the zero provoked the a deep effort by Sesame to go find its stuff. Not a very eloquent word, but boy, what was on, it was in kind of a, it was in an early dam system. There was a MAM system. There were lots of things under people's desks. And there was some materials that had already been given very generously to university archives. And we called that project the roundup of the renegade repositories. And there's a, I, I love the lassoing effect of that. Um, but zeros bring us together. They bring us together for anniversaries and birthdays. They bring us together for corporate heritage events, for the celebration of our country. And zeros zeros have some really interesting roles. So we tried to figure out ways to to bring community together and with Henry Stewart now to tune the conference. So the conference moves from how to welcome new professionals to how to embrace and engage the more advanced practitioners in the field. And that bell curve, think of it kind of like a wave moving through time, has to change year to year, conference to conference, to keep absorbing the many hundreds of new professionals, hundreds and thousands who go to work every day in DAM in 2023. And it was in the low dozens when this started, like the low tens probably. Now it employs thousands of people. And along the way... We have this remarkable convening point through Henry Stewart. We also have the first professional program that was started in 2019 at Rutgers University in in the School of Communication and Information Sciences. And that's a professional program. Um, It gives certificates with CEUs and has the given many, many hundreds of professionals the opportunity to participate in an online environment and become certified in digital asset management. Who would have ever thought? Sure. And, and, and also to see the Rutgers certificate starting to be listed as preferred in job descriptions, which is a bellwether of institutionalizing a profession. Along with this, and with great joy, we now finally have an undergraduate program concentrating in DAM at Toronto Metropolitan University 
and a university and, and student and professionally centered entity called the Lab for Excellence in Dam that's just getting going, but brings us this fall to an undergraduate class of almost 150 undergraduates taking uh, down. Congratulations on that. And imagine if you and I had stood up at every Henry Stewart we've been to and said, well, everyone here who's taken down as an undergraduate, please raise their hand until last year. Everybody would stay seated. And it's a pretty convivial crowd. So a lot of movement. And, and one of the things as we look ahead, Chris, about this is for our professionals who you and I know many of and who lead these efforts around the United States and the world, they're now hiring the most educated group of professionals that they've ever had. And there's this subtle change that this requires about compensation, expectation, work location, technology enablement, that to keep them moving forward, the senior experienced staffs and companies are absorbing a much more literate, nimble, agile class who, of employees who know a lot about the marketing landscape. So let, a lot yeah, of let me ask you about that because um, mm -hmm. as I hear this story again, and it's always from a different perspective and helping me put the pieces together, you, st you stood something up, you've built communities and educational programs. I'm looking at you and a, a lot of your roles of what you've done is almost as a scout, a recruiter, uh, uh, onboarding uh, professionals uh, into this community, into this profession, uh, developing the talent. Uh, and, and then the next natural progression of that kind of scouting, recruiting, player development leads to, okay, let's get them in the game. It does no good to uh, acquire mm -hmm. talent, develop talent, and they're sitting on the bench. And so let's talk a little bit about uh, getting the people in the game. Specifically, you can't get them in the game uh, if uh, they're not aware of some of the changes going on in the landscape. What are the opportunities? What are the how how are these damn uh, organizations structured inside these organizations? What are the compensation models? What is the succession planning? Whether you're at the beginning of your journey, that seems to be a big challenge out there. Mm -hmm. I, you know, as a founder and a CEO of, of a company, mm -hmm. um, I would love to be able to put my hands on that specific to uh, something that is up to date, what is out there or are you involved with anything to help with that issue? And maybe it's not an issue and it's just me thinking about it. Well, keep thinking. I, I mean, I guess because this, I, I believe this to be part of the fulcrum of the next expansion wave of DAM and its connectivity to the content operations platforms, to the end-to-end -end marketing and to, to the word that's still used and I think has a lot of meaning to omnichannel marketing and Dam's role in dynamic connectivity with content origination, how we create these things, to content usage, Dam speeding this, that, and the other thing, to assessing the, the monetization, what it costs us to make those. How do we recognize our, do we, do we, should we be thinking about depreciating them? 
you know, what an interesting question. If I'm meeting with acquisitions or accessions and deaccession teams, how do I talk about the value of a digital asset? And that's a conversation that we would love to have you having with your clients at inception points. And then to go very much to your question, Chris, how do we set the expectation that what Dam is per, Dam is always bought to do something? Fix my marketing problem. I can't find my logos. I've got duplicate assets all over the place. We've got our our museum collections manager system, and it doesn't talk to anything. It's so out of date. So how do we set that expectation that once we solve the original presenting and often we'll call it the capital, the capitally motivated project, project number one, and we know with with the, we've got great vendors out there and we know within you know, six to eight to 12 to 14 months, problem number one is done. And what we really want to be teaching is getting ready for problem number two. And that heartbeat of dam, this is wide gauge railroad. This isn't an application, not to pick on them, like accounting that kind of goes to work every day and does what it does. And it kind of did when I worked with SAP, it kind of does what it still did back then, basically for the mechanics of accounting. We don't know what Dan's going to be doing a few years from now. I, I respond to that very vibrantly. And I love, I, you know, I have a high tolerance for ambiguity and really like that. But I think it's looking to that question that you just asked. It's how do we teach the expectation that we need to have a conversation about nine to 12 months after purchase? about what's next. And there's there's an opportunity with DAM, even if it drives executives and sometimes IT staffs crazy, that what's next is a penetrating theme of this software. And the opportunity to leverage it, we just don't know. There was no cell phone when this started. There was no iPod. There was no streaming services. There was no capacity to buy merchandise on e-commerce or through a TikTok sale storefront or virtual storefront. None of that existed. And now here we sit on so many things that feel current and interesting. And a few years from now, it'll be something totally different. And how we counsel to get ready for that is part of the ever-present challenge of DAM. Well, as we wrap this up, because I could sit here for three hours and talk to you, in terms of advice you may have to professionals who are currently practitioners in the this damn industry or possibly people beginning their journey, whether it has mm-hmm. to do with uh, your advice for researching it, uh, whether it's about what does the compensation models look like? What is what is the opportunity for me to uh, any type of professional development you recommend? Uh, thanks for the question. Be ready to always be asking that question, what's next? Make vibrant and recurring use of our collectively development tool known as the Digital Asset Management Capability Model. It's a benchmarking tool that gives and gives and gives and gives opportunity. We are looking to to fund and to execute a global compensation study. It's very difficult for HR departments to know 
sometimes what even to call these jobs, let alone what to pay these jobs. And there's and we're we're sorely lacking a compensation model that looks at geography, career experience, size of organization, job title, so on and so forth. And we will be finding the funding for that study and turning to damn professionals all over the world to participate in that through a professional compensation study. And then to have that, I think it's kind of that awareness that DAM absorbs, it conforms and absorbs to what we need to do today to market, and then is sitting there saying, hey, Chris, what's next? And to be also understanding that professional education is not optional anymore in this field. And for a, for either from a hiring point of view or an entering the market point of view, not optional anymore. Well, David, that is sage advice. And I kind of wrap my head around what you just said with this one theme in terms of talking about what's next, the education, being curious. Th- those seem to be the uh, through line for what you're talking about. We don't know mm-hmm. what necessarily is around the corner. But being curious, asking the questions, what's next, understanding the professional, it sounds like you're getting ready to do some work to help provide more resources on compensation mm-hmm. models, how these professional opportunities, how they're classified, how they're organized, where they fit to help people in train or are currently into it, where they may fit and progress. I think if we do that, Chris. And something else that would be really neat if we could do is talk to our executive clients and and collaborators about how do we get this knowledge about this and about these marketing dimensions into the business schools. And that's that's one of those other kind of quixotic pursuits for me about about this through line. Well, you've kind of started that to to get that trail started with what you're doing at Rutgers. It's made a, it's, it's down the road. Um, and I'm going to add some more lanes to it. Okay. Well, David, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I look forward to seeing you here in a five or so weeks in yes, New York. And from now to then I'm going to remain curious that just means that when I see you, I'm probably going to have about 20 more questions. So thank you very much. Look forward to seeing you and the entire community here September 14th and 15th in New York. Until then, Chris, thanks so much.